Welcome to the Retirement Oasis, a podcast that helps you enjoy, plan, and visualize a retirement lifestyle defined by you. Your hosts and fiduciary financial planners, Mel Bond and Steve Martin, are here to offer wisdom and encouragement along with financial and lifestyle ideas for your journey into the best season of life. And now at the helm today, your hosts, Mel Bond and Steve Martin. Thank you, and welcome again to the Retirement Oasis podcast. This is Mel Bond, and our topic today is taxes. Very exciting. And we have a guest expert today. It's someone you know, Steve Martin. When the topic is taxes, I can't think of anyone better suited to cover it. Steve is a CPA. That's a certified public accountant. And he has a a master's degree in tax. He started his career at one of the big four accounting firms and has given tax advice to a broad range of clients for his whole career. So in this episode, we're going to cover select tax-saving strategies that you should consider pre-retirement, whether that's a few years or many years from retirement. The strategies we talk about today could save you some money. So I'd like to give a list of some of the topics we're going to cover today. We'll talk about your company retirement plans and uh, how those work a little bit, advantages of those. We're going to talk about IRAs, uh, traditional IRA, Roth IRA, mega backdoor Roth IRA. Health savings accounts can also be important. We'll talk about some bunching of deductions, uh, specifically around charitable planning, We'll talk about capital gains taxes and what to do there. And lastly, we'll cover some timing strategies. So obviously, we got a lot of ground to cover. And there's things we aren't covering. We'll cover later in other episodes. So let me give you a little framework here. Taxes are a big expense for everyone every year of their life. A lot of people think, well, while I'm working and I have salary and bonuses, that's when I'm paying a lot of taxes. And after I retire, my tax rate won't be that high. But that's not true. Post-retirement, with required minimum distributions out of your IRAs, your taxes could still be quite high, especially if you've accumulated a lot of money in those IRAs. So any legal opportunity to save taxes during our life, pre- and post-retirement, we should jump on it. Less taxes paid equals more dollars in our pocket, and that can get us closer to our savings goals. So before I introduce Steve and uh, get some ideas from him, I want to lay some groundwork for helping you think about how to implement these strategies. And I just want to say these strategies may or may not work with your individual situation just because they benefit one person and you've heard them, that person talk about how they benefited from a strategy, it doesn't mean that they're going to benefit you. So you should always talk to your tax professional about your specific situation before you implement any tax-saving strategy. Now, Steve, before we get into the details of these different tax-saving strategies, what are some things we need to keep in mind? Like some key principles, some key concepts to keep in mind as we get into these specific strategies. Thanks, Mel. You're you're exactly right that you need to know your individual situation before you implement any of these tax strategies. And that's a critical principle to save taxes is to know your situation, not only now, but in the future. You know, ideally, you would project out your cash flow and net worth and income tax situation over many years, as, as we do with a lot of our clients to know exactly how to implement tax strategies, uh, whether or not to do them now or in the future, and to the extent that you implement these tax-saving strategies. So knowing your marginal tax rate, knowing your adjusted gross income, those are some key metrics to know to figure out when and, and how to implement some of these tax strategies. You know, Another key principle before you implement tax-saving strategies is, and I kind of alluded to it, is integrate it with your overall plan. Know know when you're going to retire. Know when your income might be a little bit lower. Know when you might want to purchase this home. All of that, it might seem counterintuitive, but all of that could impact some of these tax strategies. If it impacts your cash flow, if it impacts your net worth, it probably impacts 
how you implement and whether or not you should implement these tax strategies. So integrate it with your overall financial plan and understand what your what your goals are. You know, the last point I, I want to make before we delve into the details of these tax strategies is be flexible, right? Tax laws change, your situation changes. So it's critical to be nimble. Sometimes you need to make last second changes if the, if Congress adopts a new tax law at year end. Sometimes there are some December planning techniques you can do to, to save taxes. But regardless, Congress obviously updates tax laws quite frequently. Sometimes it's a small change. It can make a big impact. Sometimes there are several changes that can uh, make an even bigger impact. So and constantly be aware of how your situation changes as well. You might be doing one particular tax strategy for for many years, and then you don't consider, you know, a change in your family structure, how that might impact what you've been doing. And maybe you you can no longer do that or you need to do it a little bit differently. So tax laws change, your situation changes quite a bit. So be nimble, be flexible in looking at these tax saving strategies. Yeah, great. Thanks, Steve. And, you know, I always kind of chuckle when you say tax laws change. You know, at first you think, oh, that's the CPA talking. Tax laws don't change that frequently. But then when you go back and you think about it, just like when the pandemic hit and these different uh, stimulus packages came out, each one had a little change to tax laws. And so tax laws change a lot more frequently than you think. And so you need to stay on top of it. And as you said, your life situation changes. I did think of one other uh, concept that didn't get mentioned. And, and that's your the combination of your asset location, right? How many dollars you have in a tax deferral, deferred plan, how many dollars you have in a Roth, and how many dollars you're saving in just a regular account, uh, investment account. And sometimes we look at a client situation there and give some tax-related advice because we're trying to better position those assets. But as you said, each individual's situation is different. And even if you're getting really close to retirement, your situation might be different from someone else who's just you know really close to retirement. So let's get into some details. Let's look at these strategies Let's start maybe with the uh, company plan, the company retirement plan. I know, Steve, when we sit down to talk to a client, one of the first things they talk about is their savings plan at work, because it is called a retirement plan, and they are typically coming to talk to us about retirement needs, and they say, oh, we have a retirement plan at work, and I've been contributing money, and this is how I'm invested, blah, blah, blah. So let's start in first then on those company retirement plans. Tell us a little bit about those, why clients might, you know, use them both for tax deferral and sometimes they've got Roth plans, uh, a Roth component in there. So give us some details on those company retirement plans, if you could. Absolutely. You're, you're right. It's the bread and butter of retirement planning. Most most workers do have access to a 401k, but not everybody does. And we'll talk about that if you do not have access to a 401k or a 403b, uh, might be a simple or a, a SEP IRA. So a few different options out there. We won't get into the differences in this episode, but I like them for the uh, simple reason that it locks money away for retirement, right? There's a lot of restrictions on being able to access that money once you save it into an employer-sponsored retirement plan. So you do wanna be careful, don't save more than you can. You wanna build up your emergency fund, et cetera, take care of some of those fundamentals first. But to the extent you have that, it's great to participate, if possible, to the maximum extent that, you know, either based on your situation or that the laws allow. So you can really get a significant amount into these company retirement plans, again, that the amount that you contribute varies by the plan. But again, one of the fundamental reasons I like these plans is that it locks money away for retirement. We're no longer, we can know for most of us, we can no longer rely on, you know, this defined benefit plan where the company saves for us. Uh, That's old school. Those aren't as available now. So we've got to take responsibility 
And the first thing that we need to do is probably save to that company retirement plan. You know, another benefit, of course, you can get a match, right? Uh, a lot of companies match a certain percentage of what you put in. Sometimes the companies put in a, a required amount each year, regardless of you contribute, but you want to at least save to the extent that you get the match. Again, another huge benefit, free money from your employer. And one of the things that makes these plans beneficial, not only does it lock money away for retirement, but you get a tax deduction, right? So what's the true benefit of the tax deduction? I, I think it comes in two forms. One is uh, the earnings on the taxes that you don't have to pay, right? If you contribute $10,000 and you're in a 22% marginal tax bracket, well, that's $2,200 of tax deferral. Uh, you could say tax savings. I could argue maybe that's not true tax savings, but it's tax deferral. And then you get basically earnings on that tax deferral, right? If you didn't have to give that money to the government, that stays in your pocket. So you're getting better compounding as a result. The other benefit of saving to the company retirement plans is potential tax arbitrage. You might be able to get a deduction at a higher rate now than what you're taxed at when you pull the money out. You alluded to that issue a little bit earlier, Mel, that may not always be the case in your 80s if you really save up a lot. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't save if you're in a higher tax bracket, but, but there probably will be some years in retirement in which you're gonna be in a lower tax bracket. So that's another benefit, get a higher tax deduction, you know, higher rate. And then when you pull it out to meet your living expense needs, or if you do, Roth conversions uh, in retirement, you're taxed at a lower rate as well. So just the economics of saving to a retirement plan can help one grow their wealth. But I wanted to touch on a few other nuances, uh, things to consider about retirement plans. You know, I hear from a lot of people that, hey, I can't, can't save, you know, X amount to a retirement plan because uh, my cash flow won't allow it. But yet they have maybe a little bit more in their cash fund than they realize or more in a taxable account. So don't look at it as a pure cash flow equation. If you have other resources out there, it'll, and if it'll allow, and if it's beneficial to uh, defer taxes, then think about pulling from those other resources to help meet your cash flow need. Uh, a lot of times that is not considered and in, in some tax deferral opportunities are wasted. And, and of course, everyone knows about the catch up contribution. I'm still surprised about how many people don't take advantage of this, you know, depending on the plan, the catch-up contribution varies, but it can allow those over, you know, age 50 or over to contribute a little bit more to the, uh, to the retirement plans. And that could help those of us that maybe are behind. You can get caught up, if you will. And even if you're not behind, tax uh, saving might suggest go ahead and save, uh, take advantage of that catch-up contribution. And Steve, didn't I hear that they're talking about increasing the amount of that catch-up contribution, maybe. Of course, you know, we hear a lot of rumors about what one committee in Congress might be talking about, and it never comes to law. But still, it seems like there's been some efforts to improve from, from the point of view of somebody who wants to save money, improve these uh, employer retirement plans, including maybe increasing catch-up contributions for people who, like you say, didn't have a lot of cash flow. Maybe at some point in their career, the kids are grown, maybe out of the house uh, on their own. And so the, they have more money to uh, contribute. So um, anyway, these uh, retirement plans could be improved in some upcoming legislation, maybe. Yeah. Another example of, yeah, just, just stay nimble. Keep your ear out for what changes are around the corner. That's right. You know, another nuance is, uh, you know, the Roth bucket, uh, the Roth 401k, Roth 403b. This is something that was implemented several years ago. Not all plans allow it. Your specific plan has to allow it within the, the plan documents. But I'm still surprised about how many people kind of know about a Roth, but they don't know if their company offers it. We won't get into the specifics of should you save to a traditional 401k or to a Roth 401k. There's a lot of math behind it. But first thing is find out if a Roth is eligible, then circle back to your advisor or with your own spreadsheets and then determine what the best option is. It varies uh, based, it varies based on 
one's financial situation, uh, but it's definitely um, something to consider to save to the Roth 401k or Roth 403b. You know, and expanding that concept, I won't go into this detail, but it's a neat little uh, strategy if it does stick around and some call it the mega backdoor Roth IRA. It basically allows you to get quite a bit uh, or really a mega backdoor Roth 401k, I think is the better name. Uh, I've seen both those names depending on how the strategy is implemented, but you can potentially get even more than your employee elective deferral amount for 401ks or 403bs in, effectively into a Roth 401k or a Roth 403b. Again, I won't go into details. The plan has to have a few different parameters within the plan documents to allow you to effectuate this strategy. But if it works and if you have significant cash flow, it's something worth looking at. And we'll probably cover that strategy in a different episode. You know, small business owners too, if you're a small business owner out there, there's a lot of economical plans out there. And it's not a one size fits all. Uh, it, it depends on how many employees you have, you know, the, the census, as we say, what, what the income uh, and makeup uh, of your employees are, what, what your goals are, how much you want to save, how much you want to contribute, what, what are some of the administrative costs. Uh, so we'll look at that in future sessions. But we've worked with a lot of business owners and seen that there's a lot of room for improvement to e- either increase the savings or make the plan a little bit more efficient, but that's a whole, whole different subject. Yeah. A lot of details there. You know, I was thinking you were talking about that mega backdoor Roth mega backdoor, you know, it makes it sound just amazing, right? Who would not want the mega backdoor or whatever it is, but on to some other topics, but you know, Oh, one thing I thought about we're you're talking about, we're talking about these employer retirement plans and they have a lot of these features, but but you know they're not all the same there can be differences between one type or one plan at one employer and a plan at a different employer so when you uh hear a story or read an article about a certain feature in a plan especially one that's really cool it may or may not be a part of your plan with your employer so you need to know your plan know the benefits of it, especially as to these strategies, are these strategies part of that plan? And then figure out how you can use those uh, features for your for your savings. And obviously we didn't have time really to touch on some other topics like net unrealized depreciation, non-qualified deferred comp plans, ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, and as you said, those different types of small business plans. So we'll save those for another day. Now, that sounds good. Yeah, those are, I love covering those uh, executive benefit options and company benefit options, but wanted to turn to um, individual retirement accounts, IRAs, uh, again, another bread and butter option for saving for retirement. Of course, probably most of the listeners have either a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. First point I want to make about those, most people know this, but not everybody. I'm still surprised about how many people get confused on this. You can save both to an IRA and to your company retirement plan. Now, there are some limitations. There's an impact if you do save to a retirement plan, and it's dependent on what your adjusted gross income is on on how much you might be able to save either to a Roth IRA uh, in what you can deduct to a traditional IRA, but for the most part, consider that you might be able to save to both of these in one way or the other, but again, it's specific to your situation. But if you can, and if you need to save more to retirement, saving to an IRA can be quite beneficial. A lot of times, Mel, we've heard this question a lot, should I save to my, if I have limited resources, should I save to my IRA or should I save to my employer sponsored retirement plan, let's say a 401k. Well, uh, a lot of factors involved there. Of course, if you can get a match, if you need to contribute to get a match, you should certainly save to your 401k because no one's no one's matching your IRA, right? So that's one thing. Certainly contribute to the 401k to in general to the extent that your company offers a match. But but you should should consider, you know, the the fund offerings, what kind of asset classes, what kind of funds does the 401k offer? What are the expense ratios? 
we've seen some really bad employer-sponsored retirement plans out there that they either don't have a good offering uh, in terms of different asset classes or the expense ratios are quite high. Whereas with an IRA on the outside, pretty much the you've got the world of financial options uh, to consider whether, you know, you can look for low expense ratios, you can look for practically any asset class out there, depending on the custodian that you use. So that's one thing to consider in deciding whether or not to save to an IRA or a, a company plan. Company plans do have a few more benefits. I, I think they're overhyped, but they are something to consider. In some cases, there may be more credit protection with a 401k, let's say, instead of an, an IRA. You might be able to get loans from a 401k. You know, you can't get a loan off your IRA money. So that's something to consider. But again, I, I don't think in general you should ever get loans from a 401k except for uh, last ditch effort. In the rule 55, you might be able to pull money out of a 401k if you retire after 55 and you're still with that employer around that time. Whereas an IRA, you don't have that rule. There's some different rules on getting money out of an IRA before age 59 and a half, but they're a little bit more limited. So those extra benefits of a 401k are something to consider, but for the most part, I don't think are applicable for most people. But in general, if you're not saving a lot to an IRA, I tend to lean towards the simplicity approach and just saving to the 401k, if you will, instead of opening up all of these different accounts. Uh, but if you've maximized your 401k and you've got plenty of resources, then again, you circle back and say, does save, saving to an IRA help out in my situation? You know, Steve, I was thinking about another consideration in IRAs versus company retirement plans. We've got a, an issue when uh, we're trying to pick investments for a 401k. A, a lot of times we can't find as professional uh, managers, you know, investment managers, we can't find the, all the choices in a 401k that we would like to have. Um, it's usually there's not good choices for U.S. small cap stocks or emerging market stocks or um, some other sort of subclasses. And so your money in an IRA, um, if that's at a, a location where you can have thousands of investment choices, you know, you, you need to be keep that in mind. You've got some choices in an IRA maybe that you don't have in your 401k. So that's not a reason to not save to the 401k. It's just a reason to consider the dollars that are sitting in the 401k and in the IRA and how to think of them a little differently as far as your portfolio allocation goes. That's a great point. Yeah. Asset class matters so much. It's so understated out there. Everybody thinks uh, as long as you're in, in, in the market, you're good. In, in general, long term, you, you should be as long as it's well diversified. But yeah, asset class makes a huge difference. That's a great point. And some other points about, you know, whether or not to save to an IRA. Again, consider the limits. There's different adjusted gross income limits on whether or not you can save to a Roth IRA. And the other issue with saving to a traditional IRA, you can still save to the traditional IRA regardless of your AGI, but you may not be able to get a deduction. So then you need to do the analysis. Hey, does saving to a, an IRA that I don't get a deduction, is that helpful? Um, in general, I would say look at other options, but in some cases that does make sense. You know, I've, I've seen some people, you know, back to the idea of, okay, do I have enough cash flow to save to an IRA? You know, we've got a lot of folks that want to pay down debt first you know, pay down debt aggressively. And we hear that a lot. And that's, you know, makes a lot of sense in some cases. And a lot of people have benefited themselves tremendously by paying down debt. But I would say, you know, consider the pros and cons of doing that. You know, is it better to save to an IRA or even to your 401k a little bit more than you are by using that cash flow that you would otherwise use to pay down your debt aggressively? get a tax deduction or get more into a tax-free bucket, the numbers a lot of times will indicate over the long term, paying down your debt according to the amortization schedule and saving on a tax-favored basis could be more beneficial in the long term. Of course, there's non-financial reasons why you may not want to do that. And I know that all the Dave Ramsey listeners out there, 
most of them swear by, hey, paying down the debt at work for them. And that's very well could be. That could be the right answer in your situation. But a lot of times I like the idea of, you know, paying down smart debt in a conservative manner and saving more to retirement plans. You know, Steve, I think uh, one of the key considerations for someone paying down debt is the interest rate on the debt compared to the potential earnings in their retirement plan. And obviously, if you've got um, some type of credit card debt where your interest rate is, shoot, I'd say probably anything above, you know, 6% or 7 or 8%, you're, you're not going to make that much in the markets. So paying down your debt is the best way to, uh, to get ahead there. But when you're talking about other debt, like debt on a home or, or certain car loans, sometimes those interest rates are so low that your money is working harder for you when it stays uh, invested. So um, that's one of those key considerations about pay down debt or save more. That's a great point. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's critical. You know, another issue in deciding whether or not to save to a an IRA, um, think about when you're going to retire. You don't want to, there are restrictions, as we said, about pulling money out of an IRA. If you pull it in general before age 59 and a half, there could be some penalties involved, of course, income taxes. So you want to avoid the penalties. So if you're going to retire early, you know, at a young age in your 40s and 50s, like, like some of you are shooting for, then you may not want to save too much to an IRA and, and just save it in a regular taxable account and be uh, be efficient with the taxes on that side. Another big question we hear about or we get asked or we, we spot an issue is, do you save to a traditional IRA or do you save to a Roth IRA? And again, it, it depends, are you eligible to save to a Roth IRA or are you eligible to save to a tax deductible IRA? Again, depends on your income and whether or not you're a participant in a company sponsored plan won't get into the the details around traditional versus Roth, but it should be considered uh, and probably should be analyzed more, Mel, would you say, than what it is? A lot of times it's just, oh, I'm such an age, it doesn't make sense to save to a Roth or, you know, I'm, I'm this age, so I should absolutely save to a Roth. Uh, it really depends on, again, knowing what your future looks like, get an idea of what future tax rates look like and applying that to your particular situation. And this could could make a big difference. And and we talked about being flexible, your situation changes. You know, you may be saving to a Roth IRA early and then maybe saving to a traditional IRA later on as your marginal tax rates go up, but you may find yourself, you know, one spouse lost his or her job, then you're in a lower income situation. So maybe you go back to saving to a Roth IRA. So you've got to be nimble it's not a, hey, let's make a decision now, and it's the same decision for the rest of our life. Again, it, it's got to be tailored to your individual situation in a flexible manner. And, uh, you know, that one of the principles we discussed at the beginning in a multi-year analysis, you know, that, that principle applies here. Like people who retire and wait a year or two before they take Social Security, are, are they're going to have a couple of years with very low taxable income. And those would be some years to do some conversions from their 401k slash IRA into a Roth. So that that knowing that those years might apply to you and you can do Roth conversions can affect your decision about Roth versus traditional. Absolutely. That's critical. Yeah, that's a great point. Another point about IRAs that a lot of times is overlooked is spousal IRA contributions. So in general, one has to have earned income, right? You have to have, you have to be working. You got to get a W-2 in general uh, or, or uh, be a self-employed uh, owner and getting some, some income from your business to be able to contribute to an IRA in some form. But the one exception is if your spouse is working and has ample earned income to allow you to contribute to your own IRA, that could be a good opportunity again can generate additional tax savings or generate tax savings in the long term by getting more into a Roth IRA and again the the rules are different if it's a spousal IRA the AGI rules are a little bit different so just be aware of those but that's overlooked uh, quite often 
and I won't touch on Mel. We touch on the mega backdoor Roth, as you said. That sounds amazing. The the more basic strategies, a backdoor Roth IRA. Won't go into much detail there. This is something that Congress has effectively uh, proposed some legislation that may negate this opportunity. But basically, it could provide a way to get more into a Roth IRA if you don't directly qualify because your income is too high. So we can cover that in more in another episode in the future if if the laws are still still allow us to do that. So that's IRAs, Mel. The other thing or the other tax saving strategy we may touch on is or uh, is a health savings account. I know you're a big fan of that. We're a big fan of that at the Oasis. One of the best tax saving strategies uh, in many cases, not all cases, uh, over the long term. So we certainly uh, suggest you looking at your situation to see if you are offered a, a health savings account. But well, what it is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, kind of like uh, there's a lot of it's a topic that's gets confused, you know, with some other features of uh, health insurance. Um, You know, the the health insurance area is just kind of people get in a rut about, well, this is how it works and they don't become aware of other features that are available. So there is a lot of misinformation out there about the health savings accounts. So can you help us kind of clear the fog away and understand a little more about these uh, accounts? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, they're in its most basic form, it's an investment saving vehicle uh, uh, that you can use over the long term for medical expenses on a tax favored basis. Uh, it can be done through your employer or outside your employer, it's better to go through your employer, uh, but you have to have, the caveat is you have to have a qualified high deductible plan. A lot of people get scared away when they hear high deductible, but there's just a certain threshold and it's not that big. The deductible has got to be a certain amount to qualify, but if your employer offers a high deductible plan and if they also offer this health savings account, not all companies do, about 50% of the companies do offer a health savings account now, but it basically allows you to defer income into this health savings account. It's like an IRA, but it's more specifically used for medical expenses. So you save money into this health savings account. You get to pick your investments, just like an IRA, a few few nuances there, but for the most part, you have a kind of a fun lineup through your HSA at work. And the key is one of the keys really is not to use it right away for expenses in the first year. Once that, and let me back up here. So you get a tax deduction with the money going in as that money comes out, if it's used for qualified medical expenses, it's tax free. So imagine that tax deductible going in, that's like a traditional 401k, right? tax-free money coming out. That's like a Roth 401k or Roth IRA. And that's that's unheard of. Uh, there's not many uh, really investment vehicles like that. And you could do it, you could save that money for the long-term. It doesn't have to be used that next year. You know, and that's, and that you alluded to that earlier, Mel, about the confusion. And I think the confusion is with a flexible spending account, right? You know, with a flexible spending account, you contribute money, you get a deduction going in, you're limited to uh, around $2,800 or so money going in. And then if it's used for qualified medical expenses within a year, it's tax-free also, but that's a limited amount that could go in there and it's got to be generally used up within the year. So a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I really don't spend much on medical expenses. I'm healthy. I, uh, you know, just buy contacts and that's it. So in that case, flexible spending account may not be wise to use, but the HSA, you don't have to have those expenses next year. You can wait until you're retired and use it for a variety of medical expenses. And, and I guarantee you, you'll probably have pretty good, pretty good medical expenses uh, in retirement. Yeah. The um, I think that's where a lot of confusion comes in. Uh, that flexible spending account is uh, a use it or lose it account, right? And and if you put money into a flexible spending account, and then you found out at the end of the year that you, that money just went away, even if it was $100, you're like, they lo- they took my money. And so you have this impression burned into your brain. But with a health savings account, 
that money is yours uh, for the rest of your life. And so a lot of confusion there. People think, oh, I've got to put money into the health savings account and take it out in the same year. No, that that applies to the flexible spending account, but not to the health savings account. Uh, as you said, the health savings account, go, the money goes in tax-free, grows tax-free, and can come out tax-free for qualified medical expenses. So and you can get deal. a uh, yeah, and you can get a FICA tax deduction too. I didn't mention that. You know, depending on your oh, yeah. income level, that could be an extra you know seven point six five percent savings right there. So that is huge. Uh, you know, kind of the trifecta or four uh, you know four different tax benefits depending on how you look at it. Uh, whatever the word for trifecta is equivalent for four, but pretty significant. Uh, tax savings with a health savings account. And another thing to note, again, we can spend you know several sessions on just a health savings account, but if your employer doesn't offer a health savings account, but they do offer a high deductible plan, you still might be able to participate in a health savings account outside of the workplace. There's, there's some good options, there's some expensive options out there. We won't get into detail there, but consider that just because your employer does not offer an HSA, you might, look into setting one up on your own, kind of like an IRA, right? If you went to whatever custodian to open an IRA, you can do the same thing with a health savings account. They're a little bit more limited on who offers that, but something to consider. And and we alluded to this too, as far as HSAs, the investments, that's critical. Again, another time and day, Mel, you can talk about just how to invest in a health savings account for the long term, And we could talk more about that, but that is, One thing that's overlooked, some people put it in cash and say, oh, it's not a big amount. Well, that can cost tens of thousands of dollars over the long term if you don't pay enough attention to the investments inside the health savings account. Yeah, I think we'll um, certainly cover that in more detail when we talk about our approach to matching investments to your cash flow needs. And so if the money is in the health savings account and you're not going to need it for several years, then uh, you could put it into some um, stock mutual funds for good long-term growth. I know, uh, I guess we've got one one client who is at retirement and has about $300,000 in his health savings account because he's been piling money in there, investing it in the stock market in a wise way. And it has just grown and grown and grown. So now his problem is, getting the money out of there tax-free. Uh, and of course, we've got, we'll, we'll talk about how to do that. Um, but yes, the investments in your health savings account are really important. So uh, again, enough, enough coverage on health savings account for now, many more issues associated with that. Steve, you know, we have a lot of clients that make pretty sizable charitable de- deductions or, or contributions, and they're disappointed that they can't deduct these charitable contributions like they used to. Because the uh, standard deduction, as you know, was increased a few years ago in the tax law. And um, now they need to know that the old standard deduction, the lower amount of the standard deduction is gonna be back in place for the tax year 2026. So let's talk about how these clients can take advantage of itemized deductions for their charitable gifts. Sure. Yeah, there's a neat strategy. It's uh, called bunching, bunching your itemized deductions. It's not in the code, but it's how you um, allocate your deductions over the years. And you're right, it typically applies to charitable for those that are gifting to charity. And as you said, taxpayers have the option of either take the standard deduction, which is a set amount, which recently doubled, basically, as you said, or itemized deductions. Each year, they're put to that decision. It's not a decision uh, you make one year and it's the same every year. You really look at each year, decide whether or not you take a standard deduction or your aggregate of your itemized deductions. And the idea is that you alternate years, either over a two-year or a three-year basis or more, alternate the years in which you take the itemized deductions. You bunch up, so you take more of your itemized deductions one year, and then you alternate that with when you take the standard deduction effectively, not utilizing any of your itemized deductions. So what does that look like? Well, let's talk about itemized deductions just a little bit more briefly. 
you know, the main ones that many people have uh, taxes. Uh, it could be state income taxes if you're in a, a state that uh, taxes your income. Property taxes or sales taxes could be a combination of all of those depending on your situation. So that's usually a, a big number for a lot of folks. There is mortgage interest to the extent that it's deductible. That's an itemized deduction. And then the other big part of the big three is charitable uh, deductions. Of course, a lot of people don't, don't have significant charitable gifts, but for those that do, this is a strategy to consider. So I won't get into all the nuances and the math behind it, but again, basic concept is to maybe do more charitable planning in year one, for example, gift assets to charity and take advantage of your other property to, uh, taxes and your mortgage interest in one year. And that way you're able to, instead of having your charitable gifting doled out or take it over three years, you bunch it up in one year, you get a much higher itemized deduction that year. And then in future years or next year, or next two years, you take your standard deduction. And the result could be that in the aggregate, the, the itemized deductions you take one year and then the standard deduction the other year or two is greater than if you just took your charitable deductions in an equal amount over the next few years. So it can result in, depending on your charitable giving, um, in some cases it can save, you know, two to $5,000 if someone's gifting, you know, in general, you know, 10 to $15,000 depending on their situation and depending on their marginal tax bracket. Um, and it could be significantly more in some cases. So, but for the most part, it's some bread and butter planning that you can do that again, requires you to know what your goals are and what your multi-year uh, tax situation looks like. Okay, Steve, thanks. We have one more tax saving strategy to cover. So let's talk about capital gains and capital gains tax planning. These strategies are focused on how to structure the sale or transfer of your appreciated assets in a way that will minimize income taxes. So um, obviously this would apply to someone who has a decent amount in a taxable account. And by decent amount, we mean an amount in capital potential capital gains that could cause a tax problem. So. And when we say a taxable account, maybe a better way to say that is a tax now account, right? A tax deferred account like an IRA or 401k, there's no capital gains in those accounts. A tax-free account like a Roth, no capital gains in those accounts. But in a tax now account, you pay taxes on that income, whether that be dividends or interest or capital gains. So, um, Let's talk about capital gains tax planning for clients who have decent amount in a tax now account. Absolutely, Mel. And just to uh, further set that up, capital gains is basically selling an asset at a certain amount, whatever those net proceeds are over your tax basis, that's your capital gain. So once you sell it, it's considered a realized gain. Uh, and then there's a lot of tax code on whether or not you actually recognize it. But that's the basic, that's basically what capital gains are. Uh, then the question is, what, what rate are capital gains paid at? Well, it depends on your situation. Part of it depends on the, the kind of asset. I'll say that. I won't get into details there. But for the most part, there's three tax rates. 0% for those with low income, 15% for those in the middle, and 20% for those with really high incomes. And again, you look at the kind of a taxable income, that's the key metric for determining the, the tax rate, but the taxable income for that particular year. And there's another kind of nuisance tax out there, the net investment income tax, that's 3.8%. Uh, Congress decided to make the tax code even more confusing back when the, um, the healthcare passed under President Obama, uh, often called the Obama tax, and that's 3.8% on net investment income and capital gains is often one that's considered net investment income. So again, tax rates zero to 20%, plus maybe this 3.8% if your income exceeds a certain threshold amount. So that's the lay of the land on capital gains. What can you do to minimize it? There's a few different things you can do. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. And we've seen way too often, Mel, that individuals 
hold on to appreciated assets, you know, assets that have large unrealized capital gains built in, they hold on to it because they don't want to pay the capital gains taxes. Uh, is that a good idea? What, what, any, any thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. Yes. What, uh, what do you say? Uh, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. It's a, it's a great saying. Well, when you have a, uh, an asset that's appreciating, it's appreciating because it's making money, right? It's growing, it's doing well. And who wants to sell an asset that's doing well? So especially like if you work for a company and you're getting company stock through stock options or something, and, and the company's growing and you've, you just have all of these great feelings around making money in that stock. And yet you have this, you're starting to get a massive concentration issue. So much of your assets in one, uh, um, so much of your account and your, your retirement plan in one asset. And then, uh, so you, you have behavioral biases, you have the, these wonderful good feelings that come from it. And yet we have horror stories about people who had too much of their savings in a company plan or in company stock and then that company got into trouble and they lost a lot of money so at some point you gotta say i've maxed out how much i should own in the stock i need to find a way to reduce my concentration so gosh i could talk about we could do a whole podcast just on this topic maybe we should absolutely yeah there are in the capital gains plan is a little bit different for large concentrated assets versus your your normal capital gains you're trying to avoid. But let's touch on some of the, the bread and butter planning for capital gains planning. Um, one, you could time the sell of it. So we just got done saying, hey, be careful about timing the sell and, and trying to hold on to concentrated assets. That's absolutely the case. But maybe you can spread out the sell over a couple of years. Maybe you are looking to sell it at the end of the year. You sell some in December and some in January. We've done that many a times and that can reduce capital gains taxes some instead of maybe 20% or 23.8% down to 15% or instead of 15%, 0% in some cases. So spreading out the income is critical or spreading out the timing of the income. And another idea is not to, uh, sometimes it's a good idea not to mix ordinary income with capital gains income. As I stated earlier, if your capital gains income is under a certain level, or excuse me, if your taxable income is under a certain level, you may uh, be subject to a 0% capital gains rate, and that's great. But then if you start to recognize ordinary income, whether it's you know exercising stock options or, or other ways of getting ordinary income, that can cause your zero capital gains uh, bracket to become 15%. So watching the nature of your income and years in which you sell significant capital gains, there might be some, uh, an opportunity there to minimize those taxes. You know, and the other idea about kind of timing uh, the sale is really timing the recognition of your other income, kind of alluded to that with that little discussion. You might also be able to time some of your expenses, whether it's charitable planning or some of your other itemized deduction planning or IRA deductions by increasing your expenses, you might be able to get a lower capital gains rate. And tax loss harvesting goes hand in hand with, uh, or, or tax planning should go hand in hand with looking at your overall investments. You might have big losses with some other assets in your tax now account. Might be a good time to sell those assets at a loss to offset the gains in the other other assets. But again, you've got to look at your overall situation, um, investments in taxes to decide what the best approach is. Yeah, that's great, Steve. Hey, uh, let's combine these two topics, highly appreciated assets and charitable giving. So uh, talk about those two in combination. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you can, uh, the idea is to, the idea is that you can gift appreciated assets to a qualified charity, get a tax deduction, that's one benefit, potentially a tax deduction, again, depending on if you itemize deductions, but another benefit as it applies to capital gains is that you might be able to avoid paying capital gains taxes on that appreciated asset that you gifted. So let's say you gifted a, an asset worth $100,000, a pretty significant amount. I know most folks won't give that amount, but let's say it's $100,000, 
your basis was 20,000. Well, if you sell the asset, you have $80,000 of gain you're gonna have to recognize and pay taxes on. Now, if you gift it to charity, gift the, uh, the stock, the charity receives that stock, they sell the stock. Well, because they are tax exempt, they're not gonna have to pay capital gains taxes uh, and neither will you. So great, great technique. If you're otherwise giving a charity, um, good way to, instead of giving cash, you give to appreciated assets and just by, you don't have to give, you know, $100,000 like my example talked about. It could just be your regular $5,000 or $10,000 a year and gift, you know, methodically over time, gifting appreciated assets instead of cash. And that could save significant capital gains taxes over the long term. You know, and there's other nuances about gifting assets or other strategies you can gift to to family members if they're in a lower income tax bracket. You've got to watch the kitty tax. That's an option. Step up planning. Sometimes that applies. There's like kind exchanges. So there's a whole host of other strategies that could help minimize capital gains taxes. But we just wanted to uh, touch on a few a uh, few of the bread and butter strategies that can really help minimize taxes overall at this point. Sounds great, Steve. Well, wow, we have covered a lot of tax strategies today, and uh, we strongly encourage you to work with your advisory team to take an integrated, holistic, multi-year approach to planning uh, your taxes and, and how to save money there. Some of these strategies can be really home runs for you, and uh, some might be just singles, but either way, they can add up to significant savings uh, over a multi-year life. And the greater the tax savings, the greater your overall retirement portfolio, and uh, more likely that you're going to reach those retirement goals on schedule or, or ahead of schedule. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us today at the Retirement Oasis. For, for, for more information, we uh, encourage you to go to the retirementoasis.com where you can find links to additional resources mentioned in this episode. If you need guidance and encouragement and planning for your individualized retirement and you want a fresh approach from fiduciary professionals, please visit our firm's website at oasiswealthplanning.com. And there you can schedule a call with uh, either me, Mel Bond, or my colleague, Steve Martin. And of course, if you like what you heard, please visit your favorite podcast platform and give us a thumbs up there. Give us a high rating, great review. We appreciate you sharing our podcast with others. And until next time, we wish you clarity, confidence, and cheer on the way to your retirement oasis. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Retirement Oasis podcast. You can find more episodes and resources at theretirementoasis.com. Steve Martin and Mel Bond are certified financial planning practitioners at Oasis Wealth Planning Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm headquartered in Nashville with meeting locations throughout the Southeast, including Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. The opinions given are for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, financial planning, or tax advice. Consult your own professionals for recommendations specific to your situation. Investments involve risk. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. On behalf of the crew at the Retirement Oasis, we thank you for listening.